It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good afternoon, people, tennis fans. If you are in Europe, it's good afternoon. However, if you're like Caitlin and you're on the east coast of the U.S., New York-ish, am I right? That's right. Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. So you can't get much more New York than that. So that's just gone up a state where you are. So good morning to you, Caitlin. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for squeezing in uh, your time. Uh, unfortunately, we've had one or two technical issues in terms of the camera, but uh, maybe it'll only accentuate your voice as we hear your thoughts on <laughs> what is what is going to be a pretty exciting WTA end of year finals. Absolutely. I think we have a couple of days here in Fort Worth that are going to be incredibly exciting and the field is very even. So I'm excited to talk about it with you. Even, agreed. I think seven seven players feel quite even, but there is one who has stood out from the crowd all year. Can anyone stop eager? And if so, who is going to do it? You know, it's interesting. I agree with you. Iga has had... Uh, obviously a sensational year picking up a couple of slams and the types of people who tend to slow her down, who tend to um, at least in some of the uh, slam appearances and some of the later stage tournaments are not present. These are, it's sort of reminiscent actually of Novak Djokovic who when faced with the other top elite players on the ATP tour seems to be able to cut through them like a blowtorch through butter, but occasionally he'll get felled by some kind of like big hitting, you know, uh, I don't want to say journeyman, but big hitting up and comer or big, you know, sort of tactically variable, uh, you know, somebody who, who trades rhythm for, shot making. And uh-huh. similarly, Iga has dropped a couple of sets. I'm thinking specifically of a player that I've really enjoyed watching this year, Chin Wen Jung, who mm-hmm. took a set off of her in Roland Garros and mm-hmm. again in Guadalajara, and at times looked like she was ready to to unseat the number one. But in the group that we have here, you can look at this group A, we have Iga Sviantek, Coco Goff, Caroline Garcia, Daria Kazakina, uh, there's Sabalenka, there's Pagula, there's not too many names that could take her out. So, yes, I agree with you. The, there is one that sits atop the field. Um, and it'll be interesting to see after her very, very long fall swing 
if she can retain her form. All signs point to yes, because of how she's played in the past couple of weeks, despite traveling time zone and surfaces multiple times since the US Open. Yeah, I think uh, her record as well against top 10 is is incredible. I think it's 19 and one for the year. Um, as we've got Gary joining in there from the chat, uh, he's uh, it's been so good to uh, see that we now pick her against the field. That's a high perch and good for her. Yeah, I think 19 and one against top 10 opponents this year, uh, which is an insane stat, possibly as a stat alone eclipses even everything else she's done this year, including unbeaten records and, and two wins. What about, uh, first of all, I want to talk about Texas or I want to add something about Texas and the conditions as well. Uh, we had last year's event in Guadalajara. It seemed to be a, uh, you know, a, a successful event. Um, what are your thoughts on on moving it this year to Texas and and just generally the conditions there? Well, I would have greatly preferred to see it stay in Mexico, to be honest. I thought Guadalajara put on what uh, was clearly a smash hit of an event. Players loved playing there. The crowd absolutely loved it. I think yeah. the fact that it was sort of a last-minute change from obviously the planned events uh, in Shenzhen, yeah. You know, but even thinking back to before Shenzhen, which signed a very, very lucrative deal to host the tournament for a decade, and obviously that deal sort of vaporized when the tour and the governing bodies of China split, parted ways over the disappearance of Peng Shui, among other things. Um, but before it was in Singapore, which is a fantastic place with great food, and it's, you know, wonderful to visit, but it doesn't quite have the tennis bona fides and fanship that Mexico mm -hmm. proved to have. Um, I have seen early indications hearing from some sources on the ground and other friends who are in the area. For anybody who doesn't know, Fort Worth is basically a twin city with Dallas. So it's sort of the ugly stepchild of Dallas because Dallas gets all the headlines. It has the bigger amenities. It has more hotels. It has more museums. And is really considered, you know, certainly in the Midwest part of the country, uh, one of the, the largest and sort of more, most important cities. Fort Worth is sort of attached to it uh, like a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a boil, but it's it's not, it doesn't have the, you know, certainly the, the high-end glitz and glamour that Dallas does. But what it does have is a more sort of authentic cowboy culture, which is why if you've seen any of the press rollout for these women who've arrived to play in the top eight championships here. You know, pictures of them shopping for cowboy boots in 10-gallon hats. Caroline Garcia famously wore a pretty, pretty authentic cowgirl outfit to her press conference before the tournament began. Um, rodeos and this, that, and the other. So there's a lot of fun you can do with it um, in terms of a, of a location. Unfortunately, I think because of kind of a lack of promotion and not a super, super strong background in hosting prior events, the ticket sales have been very, very anemic, which is absolutely disastrous to me for both the WTA and for okay. women's tennis in general, which is you have this great field, you have incredible players with lots of variety, great personalities, the distribution of places they represent in the world couldn't be more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, really only miss, missing a player from Asia, although um, anecdotally, I've heard a lot of Korean Americans uh, sort of pull for Jessica Pagula, whose mother is Korean American. You know, okay. but I think for me, what I want to see, and this goes for men's tournaments as well as women's tournaments, what I want to see is a successful event attended by fans who are excited to be there and the players deserving the accolades uh, that they that they uh, have spent all season, you know, sort of uh, building up to. And so it is, I hope that that 
situation reverses itself, but ticket mm -hmm. sales were not looking very good over the weekend. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that not very many people knew it was going to be in Fort Worth and the city itself hasn't necessarily been synonymous with tennis such that you'll have so many local fans who, who come out. I would love for the tennis world generally to do a better job of picking locations and promoting them when this wonderful tour, and especially in this case, the creme de la creme of a tour um, comes to their town. And I think we see a wide disparity in when that happens and when it doesn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. It felt like a, a sort of a late-ish decision as well. Maybe it's always this late, but I remember talking to someone as recently as probably two or three months ago, and we were thinking, we just actually assumed that Guadalajara would would keep it another year. And I think they made the announcement, perhaps uh, a little bit more of a build-up may have helped ticket sales. I have no idea about prices either. Are they reasonably priced? Do you know the tickets? I do. And, and you know, with the exception of, you know, the finals night session, yes, they are. And I think mm -hmm. for me, it's just truly more of a continuation of what I think for me is, is a clear pattern of tennis, especially in North America. Although, you know, what we were just talking about in Guadalajara, other tournaments that happened there, uh, Acapulco, um, Monterey, in even Mexico City, you know, so really America doesn't, hasn't done a great job of promoting events outside of the slams. Uh, and, you know, even, even Indian Wells, which is considered the fifth slam, uh, gets great fanship, but Miami has really fallen off in years past. So for me, I see a rescendant tennis scene here in America where people are packing public courts, wait lists for private clubs stretch into 10, 15 years. And okay. yet we haven't had the kind of promotion and excitement for watching pro tennis, possibly because, as you noted, uh, the announcements came late, which, yes, this year did come very, very late. It was only, I think, announced two or three weeks ago. And the mm -hmm. other thing is, you know, we haven't the tours, I don't think, have done a very good job of picking places that people want to be right. If this final were in L.A., get the idea of getting a bunch of people from across the country there and hitting an endemic tennis population who's already really excited about fanship and by the way who doesn't have a tournament that would be a no-brainer similar yeah. to new york where obviously we have the u.s open for two weeks in in the summer but the women's tennis association finals used to be played at madison square garden right like that to me is a a huge opportunity to get fans even if it's just for a couple of days uh into a place that is really you know i think deserving of these incredible talents. And so I would love very much for tennis to be thought of a lot less pragmatically as well. Where's there a venue and where can we get cheap conference rooms as opposed to where are, where is a place we know people are going to pack the stands and let's mm. do something there. And it kind of, to me, doesn't matter where it is, as long as it's a, um, you know, a, a place that has a, an international draw. And I think what we saw last year with Guadalajara is they nailed it. Um, and I'd love to see them get again and again, because I think Dallas Fort Worth, uh, looks to be pretty anemic. Maybe Texas is somewhere that the tennis world is maybe thinking of as being a a, a next step of, of growth or something, because I vaguely remember some tournaments occurring there at random moments during the year. Yes. Um, uh, I don't know if you can recall any tournaments. There might be yes. one on the ATP. There's actually a couple. There's uh, Dallas has a men's tournament. Houston yeah. has a men's tournament. And in the next calendar year, there will be a tournament in Austin. I would love to see a tournament in Austin. This tournament should be in Austin. Um, and the reason okay. it should be in Austin is because Austin has a younger, more, I think, plugged in 
uh, fanship. And there's really, you know, I think a lot of people who would already be making the trip to Austin are looking for an excuse to, to be there. It has a university, a very, very good university. I used to play it against the University of Texas Longhorns when I was in college. They had a scary fanship, I can tell you, as a, as a visiting player. We usually got decimated. I played uh, for the Missouri Tigers when we were both in the Big 12 Conference in the early 2000s. And that excitement about tennis and that facility that stadium where the texas longhorns play would be a great one and if it's a little bit smaller then so what pack the stands and make sure there's standing room only to watch these amazing women play i think having a conversation and this might get into a little bit of the weeds john but go with me when i was at the us open this this summer i was talking about uh where to put tennis team events the woman i was talking to was a usta employee who was tasked with finding a home for the bjk cup in Mm -hmm. the u.s the team was hosting um a a rubber with another country and looking for a venue in the u.s and um you know that's not an easy task necessarily you have to have a lot of requirements obviously it needs to be sort of accessible for for players visiting from other countries and you know it was interesting to hear her considerations it was what's the venue size is this uh you know basically professionalized enough. And for me, I thought the, you guys are considering places that nobody wants to visit, much less international visits. They were Mm. deciding between Arlington, Texas, which I don't even know where that is. And I'm somebody who uh, lives in America and has traveled to Texas more than I care to admit. Why not Austin? Why not New Orleans? Why not Portland? Why not places where the tradition of sport, especially women's sport is so strong and really, you know, there aren't that many courts that a tournament of this size, and by this size, I mean both the BJK Cup, which features only a handful of matches, as well as the Tour Finals, which, again, only features a handful of matches. There's two round robins and then semis and finals. And so for me, if you have a field of eight, put them on a court in the middle of, you know, the East River in New York and broadcast it live in Times Square. Like, let's get creative about how we can broadcast and show these amazing athletes at the very, very pinnacle of their season. Because the women are going to show up no matter what. They're getting giant checks to play these finals, as they should. Let's make sure that the fanship and the viewership matches with their performance. And I think for me, that's where I would like to see the tennis world kind of go. Because I think what I hope but suspect um, the Fort Worth experience will illustrate is when you don't do that, um, you know, you get the optics of, of failure. And I think the tennis world, both based on its recreational popularity and the women's game, which is the most popular women's sport in the world, deserves a lot better. Fair enough. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, let's get to the tennis then, shall we? Uh, fingers crossed that the, the arenas end up do filling up a bit more and hopefully they get to see some good tennis. Um, I think there's a lot to look forward to. We've touched on Igor already and, and she will, her specter will be there throughout. But, um, I think there's a couple of players that I've put into one category here, which is Sabalenka and Sakari. Sakari will be in action, of course, later on, or be the, I think the opening match against Bagula later. But I put Sabalenka and Sakari in the same category. Do you, do you realize why? Because they're both, 
kind of flattered to deceive, maybe had slightly disappointing years, particularly with Sakari starting the year reasonably well, getting to the final. I think it was Indian Wells, but she lost to Eager. And there does feel, there is a feeling of, of these two players, they're getting to Grand Slam semis. Of course, Sabalenka got to the semifinals and was close to beating Eager in New York. But there is a feeling that neither of these two players can quite go the next step, win a Masters, get to a Grand Slam final. Um, is there any sort of... Uh, that could really transform their year if they were to win this tournament. Absolutely. And I think both of them had, as you described... Uh, I think disappointing years. I think both probably found themselves pretty fortunate to be in the top eight, obviously. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking of Sabalenka when we were talking about a big hitter. Obviously, I mentioned Chin Wen Zheng, but like Sabalenka also took a set off of Iga and was leading her in uh, the US Open before, you know, Iga's sort of inevitability took over. So Sabalenka is somebody who's always, I think, based on her game style and let's face it, her sort of mental, uh, let's call it approach, her mental approach. Uh, she's always going to be somebody who's a little bit up and down. I don't mind that so much, but I think for her, she spent more time this year down than up. Um, and I think her double faults and a lot of unforced errors and a lot of matches where she was leading and failed to close out um, are indicative, I think, of, of when that go for broke mindset doesn't work. Zachary's a little bit different. I n understand why you put them together because they both can be nervy and fail to close. For me, Maria Zachary is less of a big hitter with no game plan B like Sabalenka is, but she is somebody who gets, who's an incredible all around athlete, has all the shots, but just totally blanks later in later stages of tournaments. I was very, very happy um, to see her pull out in Guadalajara, a couple of very, very hard fought wins that enabled her to qualify because yeah. she was right there on the cusp. And, you know, I think a lot of us in the tennis world look back and think, you know what, literally two or three points go differently in the past couple of years. And this girl has two slams. I mean, I think there's a very, very real chance that she wins the French Open final if she gets past Barbara Kudrykova, who, against mm -hmm. whom she had a match point. And then she goes on to win, uh, you know, probably against uh, Pavlichenkova um, in the final, similar to the U.S. Open. You know, she lost after being up. And then that was obviously the the final where Leila Fernandez faced off against Eberaticanu. So for me, I think... Um, Sakari is somebody who has more game than most of these women. She actually has a very well-rounded game, similar to Iga, but she is really mentally, I think, tested by these high-pressure situations. And I think for her, what I would love to see is for her to just sort of throw out the past playbook and just come fresh to this final eight with really nothing to lose. I mean, she barely got in. She was the last to qualify. And I think for us, like watching a player who can struggle with confidence, what better forum to take a last great stand on the year and really capture something positive. It actually is to me would be very reminiscent of what Garbina Muguruza did last year in Guadalajara, where she had kind of a shaky year, but came alive in the tour finals and really redeemed her season late in the year, just by being able to sort of perform um, in that, in that final setting. And so I think those players I'll be looking for that and not for nothing, but I think Sabalenka is one of those players who could take out Iga if she can just get to the later stages where they would meet. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. 
because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. If I was to say to you in a week from now, um, an American has won this tournament, either obviously Pagula or Coco Goth, which one of the two do you think is more likely to do so and why? I think Pagula. I think Coco Goth uh, is an incredibly exciting talent. I am so excited and happy that she has continued to make progress that is meaningful in her game. And for me, her getting to the finals of the French Open this year, and she lost pretty badly against Iga, but just getting there, even though she didn't face a super, super tough draw, she would be, um, she is going to be ferocious. She's already a ferocious competitor. She never says die. She can have an incredible match, but the truth is her technique just isn't quite up to elite level yet. Her forehand still struggles. It mm-hmm. can break down. And if you watch her serve, it's gotten a lot better. The technique on it has has really improved, especially her second serve, but it's still a bit of a weakness. I watched her play Caro Garcia in the U.S. Open, uh, I think it was quarters. And, you know, yeah. the truth is an elite player and every woman at this tournament is an elite player can expose Coco's uh, weaknesses quite quickly. Now, nerves and competitiveness and the kind of stuff that you really can't coach that Coco does so, so well um, can really be an advantage when you have a draw and anything can happen. When it's around Robin and she has to consistently play top, top, top players, I think Coco breaks down in terms of her game technique and just kind of can't hang. So I would be shocked if she made it to the finals, whereas Pagula is the exact opposite. She has higher, sorry, she has sort of fewer peaks, but also fewer valleys. And her game is just so, so solid and she competes and never fades away. And I think for me in the women's game where you can have some, you know, more instances of a little bit of an up and down in terms of performance, you, you have the opportunity really for, a Pagula who just plugs away and makes her presence felt regardless of, you know, the scoreline. I think there's a very, very good chance that given, especially how spiky the other women in the draw, probably with the exception of Iga, um, I wouldn't be shocked if those two were, were playing for the final. uh, In fact. Mm -hmm. Um, you touched on Garcia there. I think, uh, her year has been particularly streaky, um, you know, in in a good way in that, that she's gone on some amazing runs. She obviously, she's also got an interesting thing in that she's beaten most of the players at this final quite recently. She beat Eager in Warsaw uh, on the way to the Cincinnati title in uh, end of August, I think it was. She beat Pagula, Sakari and Sabalenka um, all in that tournament en route to winning uh, Cincinnati. She obviously got to the U.S. Open semi-final. I think tactically in that semi-final against um, uh, Jabeur, I think yeah. she didn't mix it up enough. She was const- She's got this return position that we know and love. That's like a meter inside the baseline, and it's very aggressive. But I, I saw against Jabeur that it, it wasn't really working. And midway through the second set, uh, as the match was you know, really not just slipping away, was was way away from her. I thought, okay, now maybe, because there was even times she wasn't even getting on her racket on, not exactly an unbelievable serves from Jabeur. So I just wondered if maybe that was something. But but back, I should really put a positive spin on it. She's got a really good uh, stat in that she's beaten a lot of these players at this tournament. Uh, can she can she get to the semifinals and, and maybe even go further? I mean, what's going to be really tough is her... Uh... I think 
winning in the later stages, but absolutely she can get to the semifinal. I mean, remember that we take the top two out of each group. And I think she has every reason. I mean, she dismantled Coco Goff that match before the Onstruber match at the U S open that you mentioned and Kasakina, who we haven't really talked about a lot, but who has um, a tremendous amount of athleticism. Honestly, to me, Kasakina is a lot like Caro Garcia in the, the same uh, sort of category of somebody who has just tremendous ball striking all around, but also can be a little bit unpredictable. Her shot selection is a little bit, you know, sort of, uh, she, she basically does what Ons does just a little bit worse. That said, um, you know, Caro can and should be in the top two coming out of this group if past his prologue, if she is able to recapture some of that streaky magic. Um, but as we've seen, you know, streaks can end. And so I think when we watched her play against Ons, you know, that same technique that was so successful up to that point in the tournament stopped working and then she didn't really have another plan. And so I think uh, it'll be really interesting to see if she is able to, um, you know, I think modulate her, her tactics against the varied field that she will face. Um, You know, I think that's to me, one of the most impressive things about Iga again, which is just that she can meet any player where they are and overtake them. Um, you know, whereas I think for me watching Caroline Garcia, especially these last couple of years, when you watch her up close and the same is true of Coco Goff, when they're playing well, it's hard to imagine that they lose. Um, mm. but then all of a sudden what they're doing stops working and they can't adjust. Yeah. And then the match is, is out from under them. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I, I mentioned how it's kind of eager and then seven others. Maybe the one who slipped under the radar most would be Kazakina. Uh, she did get to the semifinals. I think it was in Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, she won a couple of tournaments this year, including in a WTA 500, the Mubadabalas Classic, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm saying that correctly. And, and she won a 250 as well in Canada. Um, but yeah, she probably has sort of slipped in under the radar, so to speak. But um, it was Sakri, of course, that, that qualified last. I think this group that we've got on the screen right now is probably not lopsided but you there it is Fiontech and Garcia for me that are probably the two most likely partly because of the Garcia record I just mentioned and as you said she did really easily beat uh, Goff before I let you go Caitlin let's just go back to the other group though um, because I as I say I think the other group may be slightly more competitive uh, if I just have a quick look at that on the screen. Oh, we haven't mentioned Anjabur I guess she's the the last person in our in our jigsaw to speak about um She's obviously had an amazing year. I think the only blot on her copybook would be at Roland Garros, where I think everyone was astonished to see her go out in the first round. Uh, but then she pulled it together, obviously getting to the finals back-to-back at Wimbledon. And um, in New York, any final thoughts on, on Jabeur? Yeah, I mean, Anz is probably, for me, the most fun player to watch. She's got the most variety. She is... Uh, an incredibly, I think, joyful player. She's a creator. Uh, And I think, you know, at her heights, she really has a toolbox that is, um, I think, a lot more exciting or or unusual in terms of what she's able to throw at an opponent with unpredictability. Um, Certainly the most out of these, these eight women. On the other hand, her shot selection and her, her, the way she deals with nerves is not productive in the, and I think that's what cost her certainly the U S open final. Um, but also probably Wimbledon where, you know, she was perhaps a little bit more favored coming into it, given 
the draw that she had gone through. So for me, Ons is, uh, along with Sabalenka, the most exciting player in terms of what's going what's gonna to come off their racket. It's, it's fun to watch their tennis. But I think also, um, you know, she certainly deserves to be there having been in two Grand Slam finals this year. But I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what the sort of, similar to kind of Coco, where she's able to hit incredible heights, but the, the week in, week out, sort of grind, uh, you know, is sort of replicated here with the the round robin um, play. You really have to have a consistent approach to how you play against all of the other top players in your group to be able to, to, um, to be able to get out of it. And I, and I honestly, I wouldn't be shocked with any two player combination that came out of this side of the draw, which is, I think to your yeah. point, John, about how it's quite balanced. I think, there isn't necessarily a clear favorite in terms of performance, technique, or nerves. I think all of these women have obviously exceptional highs, but can also have unpredictable lows, probably with the exception of, of um, Pagula, who's, who's the most consistent. So yeah, I think we have, to me, what is the best possible scenario at a, at a World Tour Finals. There's not a player who doesn't deserve to be there where some, some years you see somebody who just happened to have, you know, one, uh, great result that has, you know, sort of, uh, whereas, you know, the rest of the season is quite lopsided. That's not the case here. These players have performed pretty well throughout the season, even if you note that, that that's come in streaks. Um, and I think what I really love about tennis is just the variety of all the personalities of all the styles of play of all the, you know, places these women are from. I hope, and again, this sort of harkens back to what we discussed at the top of the show. I hope that the stands are filled with all sorts of flags because these women certainly deserve to play in front of really, really engrossed and uh, active fans because I know that that's who will be watching around the world. So, Caitlin, I know you're going to be uh, hitting a ball yourself in the next 60 minutes. I hope you get a decent audience for that, too. Um, <laughs> where can we also find you, either Twitter and, and, and journalistically? So I, uh, yes, I am the co-founder of Racket, which is a media company. There's a print magazine. We have a podcast with uh, the illustrious Renee Stubbs. Uh, I'm on Twitter, although that remains to be seen for how long, uh, given the new world order that has taken over. Oh, yes. um, you can find me racketmag.com. That's, uh, that's the place where it all goes down. And that's my, uh, along with my co-founder, David, really my life's work. You know, it's, it's a marriage of my youth as a competitive tennis player and uh, uh, getting a journalism degree paid for by a tennis scholarship. And then after years and years of working in media, the Washington Post, Time Magazine and others, um, starting this thing to sort of give tennis its due to make to make it feel like this vibrant, vital, cultural place where people can see themselves. And so for me, that's uh, that's where you can find me. Uh, also, racket mag aside, I've also seen you uh, uh, frequently appear on. I think it's off the ball. Is that the right the right title for that uh, production? And and I and I've heard your thoughts many times over the last twelve months there. Yes, for some reason the Irish really can't get enough of me. So I've <laughs> I've been lucky enough to be invited onto not one but two of the sort of national programs. Off the ball is one that you mentioned. The other is the very very popular sports podcast uh, Second Captains. And you know I have to say it's really a privilege as it is now to talk with tennis fans, journalists, uh, followers, uh, amplifiers from across the world, because I always take something away from it. And I am very focused on 
how I can work to get my fellow Americans more engaged in this game. And it's a really nice reminder that the game needs less help uh, around the world where it is uh, seen appropriately as, you know, a magnificent uh, priority. So that's, it's, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much, Caitlin, for coming on. Uh, everybody else who joined us as well, thanks for stopping by. And uh, yeah, take care, Caitlin, and I'll see you soon. Thanks, John. Cheers. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.